Welcome to Capital Cashflow, teaching you how to safely invest your capital into cash flowing assets. Here is your host, Abraham Anderson. Welcome to Capital Cash Flow Show 26. This is your host, Abraham Anderson. Today, we're going to talk about the rules and regulations for your mobile home park. I'm going to start with a quote that goes back to biblical times, and that is, a bad apple spoils the whole bunch. So the reason you want to have good rules and regulations is for multiple things. One is going to that quote. If you allow some residents, bad ones, to violate rules and to act in a not so good way, it will run off good residents. And it does a few other things which we'll get into here. So what we're going to do is go over the main things that you want to have in your rules and just some tips on enforcing these. Now a quick disclaimer, some of these items may or may not be allowed in your state. The best way to find out is check with your state manufactured housing association. Every state except Hawaii has one. Now some are better than others but all the ones I've checked with will have a template of rules and regulations that you can go off of. It's part of the lease. And another organization that you really need to check with is your insurance company. Now we use a brokerage out of Texas called Mobile Agency. They're nationwide and they can tell you what you should and should not be allowing in your park. A lot of this really goes back to insurance and then just keeping the park in good condition. So the rules are part of the rental agreement. So when you go to sign the lease, you'll just typically it's two documents really. It's the length of the term, the rent amount, the lease portion of it, and then you know how long it lasts, how they cancel it, and then also the rules and regulations. And a lot of big operators, including ourselves, have been calling these our community standards. So just getting into them here, the big rule that you want to have really at the top of all of this is, and I'll read it here, management reserves the right to evict tenants or visitors for violating any of these rules and regulations. Now this is especially important to have right now in COVID times because at the moment until the end of the year you cannot evict for non-payment of rent. So having this in your lease allows you to evict residents if they violate any of these rules. The next most important thing I would say is document everything. If you take nothing else away from this podcast, document everything. And the key here with it you know, to enforcing the rules, collecting fines if there's any, remedying the rules, or if you have to evict is being able to prove it. And that's where documentation comes in. And how you do that is you have your manager take photos of the violations, you write down when and what was discussed with the residents, save copies of all the notices, and you keep all this in the tenant file, whether it's your property management software or whatever you use to keep records. And I know this, all this will sound like a lot, but really it takes just as much time to do things correctly as it does to do it incorrectly. I mean, it's the same amount of time if you're going to talk to them anyway to make a quick note, oh hey, we talked to resident number 15 about their skirting today. 
Um, really, this is critical to enforcing the rules. Okay, so the first big one, as far as rules goes, uh, all residents must be approved. And this is basically saying who's allowed to live there. Um, you must do a background check on anyone that's living in the home. And we define living as staying there longer than 10 days in a month. And you really need to be firm on this because you'll have, we had a situation, just to tell you a quick story. Older woman moves in, applies, passes a background check. And as far as screening residents, we did an episode on that, so check it out. So screened her, she's good, she moves in. A couple weeks after that, the manager notices this guy keeps hanging around her house. So we inquire about it. Turns out it's her adult son who moved in. So we told her, hey, he's living here. He's staying here longer than 10 days per your lease. He's considered a resident, so he needs to pass a background check. Well, she refused at first. He refused, both of them. And eventually we gave him an ultimatum you either have to do this or we're going to non-renew your lease and you'll be evicted. So finally he applies, do the background check, turns out he was a sex offender. And your insurance may or may not allow that or even care, but um, in most of our communities we do not allow that. We never allow some to move in. If we have existing ones in the park when we took over, we may or may not let them continue to stay there. But anyhow, what ended up happening is he moved out, everything was fine. So that's why this is very important. You need to have control of who's in your park. Again, if you have bad residents, it will run off good ones. Kind of in the same vein, we have a line in our lease that states subletting is not allowed. And this is called either third-party rentals, or you may hear the term Lonnie dealer. And this is when someone, either inside or outside the park, owns a mobile home and they rent it to somebody else. And we generally do not allow this for a few reasons. Uh, one is going back to the park-owned versus tenant-owned home discussion. If somebody owns their home, they take much better care of it. They clean the yard up. It's always nicely kept. And they're long-lasting residents. They're stable. If someone's renting it, you lose all of those benefits. And the other big reason why you generally do not want to allow third-party rentals is lenders do not like it. If you're ever trying to get agency debt, non-recourse through Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, they have a clause where you cannot have a, over a certain percent. It can be as low as 5% if you have over that, that they will not allow you to get the loan. Another reason is if you have one, let's say you've got a guy and he owns 15 homes in your 40-space park. Well, he's got huge leverage over you because he could always say, oh, hey, I'm going to rip out all these homes if you don't give me a discount on my rent. Or, no, I don't like these rules. I'm going to put whoever I want in there. You can't stop me. So it's just much safer if ever you have you know, 40 people that each own their own home. You've got 40 individuals you're dealing with versus one guy owning 15 homes and then all the other problems that come with that. Next one is, and this goes back to insurance, is all pets must be approved before being kept in the park. The big one are dangerous breeds of dogs which are prohibited. Now I personally love dogs but statistically for example pit bulls they make up half of all dog attacks and over 70 percent of the fatalities. So you've got to check with your insurance see what's allowed but you're on the hook for that. Um, what's going to happen is you know because most of these residents 
they're on the affordable housing spectrum so they're not going to have any resources if they get sued because their dog attacks them they're, you're not they're not just going to get sued you're going to get sued as the park owner and that can be extremely costly so it's better just to <laughs> prohibit these types of animals from being in the park and it saves you a huge amount of liability and one other thing is on their application that they fill out before they're admitted into the park it asks them how many pets do you have and what pets are they and we even have a separate form when they do move in even after they fill out the application where they have to list the pets they have their age their breed their weight all of these things because then we have it documented hey you were not allowed to have this these 15 pit bulls that you snuck in <laughs> get, get rid of them or you'll get evicted next big items are the conditions of the home now we require the homes to be skirted but we don't require it to be vinyl skirting that can cost upwards of a thousand dollars material and labor um, there's other materials that you can use they can use to skirt the home for example corrugated metal it looks pretty good you can paint it and it's much less expensive than vinyl another item is we do not allow non-running vehicles now I wouldn't mind if someone's car tags are expired that's not what we're looking for a big no-no though is cars on blocks and you'll see whether it's you take over a park or if you don't <laughs> keep a handle on things after a while you'll notice one of the residents has a little car shop running out of your park and they've at any given time they've got four cars uh, in various states of being torn down all over their yard and in your park and I mean it's it, it looks terrible it's a liability kids could run into it the, the oil leaking out could mess up your asphalt or stain it just looks bad and that's not allowed and, and even it's an insurance requirement depending on your policy many of them do not like that either Another one is you know they must park on their parking pad or designated parking area some parks may not have parking pads but usually they'll have some area set aside whether it's gravel or concrete or asphalt they can park on we do not allow them to park in the grass because the lateral line the line uh, that runs from the home to the either sewer or water connections that can get crushed very easily and can be thousands to replace so you don't let them park in the grass because it looks bad and because it can damage your infrastructure we also do not allow boats typically unless they're approved or we'll have a set aside area in the park where they can park it at for the same reason it looks bad it can be a liability another items you will have and you should have in your rules and regulations is the tenants are responsible for their mobile home taxes now in some states they will build a residence directly for their property tax personal property tax on their mobile home in other states the assessor will send you the park owner the bill for all the homes in the park and then it's your job to go around and collect the mobile home tax from each resident and I would say oh man out of the 11 parks right now we've only had one park that we took over where mom and pop was actually collecting the property taxes so don't be surprised if you're in a state where they do make you collect them most of the time mom and pop do not so you need to have that in the lease so when tax time comes around and you let the residents know here's your tax bill that's going to be due by the end of the year uh, that they start hemming and hawing well it's in your lease 
you know, it's your tax bill. You own the home. Uh, this is what you owe. We're not making a profit on this. We're just recollecting what you already owe. So just making that clear. Another item you want to have is the resident should check in with the manager before selling their home. You want to be involved in the whole sales process for a couple reasons. Number one is controlling who goes in there because if you don't uh, get a handle on this, what'll happen is they'll just sell it to anyone and have them move in. Same issues we talked about earlier, you know. So you got to have them fill out the background check and do all of those things. The other reason is the risk of somebody else buying the home and then pulling it out of the park. Now, prior to this year, we had almost no one tried to do this, but I think it's a combination of the unemployment, stimulus money, and I guess them sitting around having nothing to do. Hey, I'm going to move my home out of here, <laughs> or I'm going to sell it to someone and they want to move the home out. We've had several instances, and I say several, it's been less than five out of over 600, but still, that's, um, if you look at an occupied lot, it's worth 30 or 40 grand to you. One of those leaving definitely hurts. So you want to be involved in the sales process, help them market it. Sometimes they don't even have internet. It's posting an ad online with their phone number. I mean, it can really be helpful, and they appreciate it as well. So you want to have that in there and then make them aware. If they want to sell their home, check in with the manager. We can help you sell it, and you can just be involved in that process. Other items that are in there is no swimming pools or trampolines. You know, this is an insurance requirement. It's pretty standardized. And another thing that you'll see a lot of, I mean, we took over a park recently. I think when I drove through it, um, many times throughout diligence, but the last time as we closed, I counted there was five trampolines, <laughs> huge trampolines. Most of them had no nets, so you can just imagine. And what you tell the residents, because I mean, I, when I grew up, I had a trampoline, uh, and I, I liked them. I mean, I had, horribly, I had a family member who broke their arm on a trampoline, so they are dangerous. But what we tell the residents is it's not just that their kids have the risk, because most of the time they'll say, well, I'm out there with my kids when they're jumping on and it's not a big deal. But what will happen is they're going to be in town or be working and the neighbor's kids are going to come by and jump on their trampoline. They're going to fall off and break their arm. And then guess who gets sued? You do. So it's definitely a must. Get rid of the trampolines. And another item is no fireworks. Um, you know, and this is something that you'll have to remind your residents usually around the 4th of July and New Year's because they seem to forget it. But this is for reasons it could catch fire to mobile homes. I know of someone that's happened to. Um, it could hurt somebody, could hit a car. I mean, you just do not want fireworks in your park. And I'm, again, I love fireworks are cool. I mean, in any city I've ever lived in, they have some type of firework, 4th of July show or New Year's. So, I mean, maybe <laughs> you can give out the notice telling them fireworks are prohibited. Here's some local events you can go to if you want to see fireworks. Another item you want to have in here is all federal, state, local laws and regulations and ordinances shall be obeyed by the residents and guests of the park. Now, you want to have this in here. It seems like, why would you put that in there? Obviously, they have to obey the law. But this allows you as well to evict repeated unlawful behavior, such as blaring loud music at 3 a.m. on a weekday for 10 days in a row. By having this in there, it allows you to 
get rid of again a bad resident if they're not falling in line. So those are some basic rules, uh, the big ones I would say, and again I would check with your insurance company, see what they require, have everything they have in a lease, and what they'll do typically, what you can do is send them a copy if you already have a rules and regulations, ask them to look it over, is everything good in here? Because that saves you the liability, because you don't want to get in a situation where you are allowing things in your park that your insurance is in their policy that's a violation of your policy, because then you could have a claim and it doesn't get covered. So have them check it over and okay it. And how you enforce these rules is once a month you should do a walkthrough or a virtual walkthrough, which I'll cover here, of the park with your manager. Now, you should make notes as you go through of each home, okay, this person's got tons of skirting missing, this one's got a pool outside, this one's got a swing set, and make a note of all of these. This person's got a car on blocks. Then what you do is you go through, you get the list done, you have your manager by themselves go back through, go knock, talk to each of these residents. Hey, Mr. Smith, um, you've got this car up here on blocks uh, and your lease, you know, that's not allowed. When are you going to remedy this? And if it's reasonable, if it's in within a week or two, that's fine. Then what you do, very important, document it, make a note on the calendar of when this is due. When that date passes, if it's not fixed, the manager goes back to the resident says, hey, you said it was going to be done by this time. You need to get this resolved within X number of days. For example, the non-running car. We would then give them another notice saying they've got 10 days to fix the car or remove it. And if they don't, it will be towed. And then you go and you tow that car. That's a big thing is if you don't enforce these rules, people are going to know and the whole all of a sudden everyone talks and everything will go down very quickly because they know you're not keeping up with the rules. And let's say if it was a violation where there's junk in the yard, you know, after the deadline passes, you may give them another week. If it's not remedied, your manager goes in the park, cleans it all up, and then you bill them for the labor, whether it's 50 or $100 or whatever your lease specifies is the penalty. So this is what you do. And as far as doing a virtual one, let's say you're out of state or due to COVID, you don't want to go there. What you would do is have your manager go through the park and film it and I recommend getting something like a GoPro or even just have them use their smartphone with a car mount. But you want it mounted and they slowly drive through the park and you can see it. Or they can just even walk with their smartphone and film each home up and then down. And then what you do is you get on a Zoom call with them and you play the video and you can have a virtual ride through and you can say, okay, this home here, what's going on? What's this over here? And then you can talk about it with your manager and get a game plan together. So then you do all that. The following month when you do the next walkthrough, you start with the list from the previous month, see what was accomplished, what wasn't, why it wasn't accomplished, and then you write down any new violations and then it just keeps going from there. And again, you're documenting all this as this goes along in the tenant's rental history um, for all the above reasons. Now, some residents will be upset by some of these rules. I mean, they've run their little auto shop in the park for five years with the previous owner and, and he didn't care. And largely, you'd be surprised at the amount of 
mom and pops that will have no insurance at all because they have no mortgage so they don't have to. So they don't care if, you know, if there's 15 cars up on blocks with uh, uh, everything sticking out and that engine on the ground on the sidewalk. <laughs> but you do because you don't want the liability and your insurance forces you to. So what you let your manager know to tell the residents is that these are requirements from the insurance company. You're not the bad guy. Your manager's not the bad guy. They're just enforcing the rules. It's not up to them, you know. I mean, again, most managers, in fact, I've had managers that have previously owned pit bulls. And so it's not that they don't love the dog. It's just that it's an insurance requirement and that you can't change it. It's, your hands are tied with it. A lot of the time, if residents understand this, then they can at least understand they, they direct it redirects their anger away from you and then they'll typically agree to it and then another key lesson here is you must enforce the rules consistently it's the only fair way to operate and even bigger than that is residents can claim discrimination if you're treating some better than others and I know I keep going back to liability and all of that but it really is a big thing. In 21st century America, you can get sued for any reason or no reason, and you want to make sure you're doing things legally and correctly. And the reasons, I'll go over five reasons here why you want good rules that are enforced. Number one, if you could guess, is the liability. It limits your liability. Number two is it provides a safe, clean, affordable place to live that, that residents can be proud of and that leads to tenant retention and um, all the other great things that come with that. Number three is helps you get rid of the bad residents and keep good residents. Number four is if you have a well-maintained community you will attract new people in the park as well. And number five is if you go to refinance or even sell the park you will get a higher valuation because the park looks good. The banker, when you go to get a loan, the banker and the appraiser is going to go out there. They take pictures. They notice things. And you go, you'll get a lot farther if every home in there is skirted and nice and clean than if uh, the whole place looks like it's in shambles, like a tornado just went through. And I will summarize here, and a lot of times I'll tell residents this, but these are the three, the summary of all the rules can be, uh, can be confined in these three rules. Number one, keep your home and your yard clean. Number two, be nice to your neighbors. And number three, obey the law. And that's the, that's the spirit of all the other rules combined. So again, these are the main items you want to have in your rules and regulations. If you have any questions, feel free to email me, abraham at capitalcashflow.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps out the show. We've got some great guests scheduled to come on here, and it helps us get new guests on. Again, guys, thanks, and make it happen. Thank you for listening to Capital Cashflow. For more resources and information on investing with us, find us on social media or at capitalcashflow.com.